Okay, um, good evening everyone and welcome to the Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024 Lawrence City Commission meeting and to go ahead and get us started off. I'll have Sherry go ahead and give us the rundown. Thank you, Mayor, and good evening everyone. To minimize distractions during the meeting, please silence your cell phone. For those attending virtually, please ensure you are muted and your video is off when you are not actively participating in the meeting. The city reserves the right to turn videos off or mute virtual participants. The meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. When the mayor calls for public comment, please approach the podium to indicate you wish to speak. Those participating virtually should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat and all chats go directly to the meeting host. Please state your name before speaking and all comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, thank you, Sherry. All right, to go ahead and get us started off with agenda item A, uh, approve the agenda. Move to approve the agenda. Second. All right, I have a first and a second. Um, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 That's four in favor, zero opposed. Uh, moving on to item B, uh, recognition and proclamation presentation. Um, it looks like we have one. Does, do we have anybody here to go ahead and receive this? Mayor Littlejohn and members of the Lawrence City Commission. My name is Philistine Afani Ruzik. I'm a Palestinian American who has lived in Lawrence for 24 years. And I'm here before you today on behalf of Rally for Palestine, a group dedicated to advocating for a ceasefire in Gaza and Palestine. Though this proclamation is a step in the right direction, and I do thank Mayor Littlejohn for it, um, especially on the swiftness of it, there is more that must be done, so I'm also going to urge you to consider the gravity of the situation and the urgency for a more impactful resolution. The current proclamation, unfortunately, lacks explicit mention of Gaza or a ceasefire, a critical omission that does not truly address the heart of this matter. Right now, the death toll is devastatingly high, with countless innocent civilians suffering in what can only be described as a humanitarian crisis. So our plea today is for a resolution that not only acknowledges this reality, but actively works towards a lasting solution. I understand the Commission's preference for this proclamation. I do. However, a resolution is not merely a symbolic gesture. It carries the weight of commitment and action. We need our leaders to opt for a resolution calling for a ceasefire to show that our city is united in supporting human rights and promoting our dedication to peace and justice on the international stage. Please remember that a resolution benefits all sides. This cause aligns with the principles outlined in our city's mission statement, emphasizing the importance of justice, equality, and the well-being of all citizens. As representatives of Lawrence, you cannot shy away from addressing global issues that resonate with the values that we in Lawrence hold dear. So today, with great urgency, I would like you to consider the sentiment of our community. Lawrence is known for its compassion 
and commitment to justice. Our citizens are passionate about standing up for those who suffer, and it is our duty to reflect those values in our actions. In advocating for a resolution, we are not only expressing solidarity with the people in Gaza, but also contributing to a broader dialogue. I propose that alongside this resolution, the city commissioners draft letters to our representatives in Congress, urging them to take a stand for peace in the region. It's never too late to show where we stand as a community in this historic event. I am always proud of our city, always, for standing up for human rights. And I wouldn't want to see that trend come to a screeching halt because our commission refused to advocate for a ceasefire. By adopting a resolution and engaging with Congress, Lawrence, like many cities who have already adopted a resolution, can play a significant role in fostering peace and bringing attention to the urgent need for a ceasefire in Gaza. I do thank you for this moment and for your time and consideration. Thank you. Okay. Was that? Yeah, yeah, it's in there. Mayor, can I say a brief words, please? Um, I, I will allow it, but it is uh, not our normal procedure. Go ahead. It's not our normal procedure for commissioners not to provide comments on proclamations. Okay. Oh, I, I was just asking for a point of clarification. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah we, we, we don't. So we, commissioners typically don't, are not no, allowed to put yes, Okay, I just wanted to make sure. No. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll take this, Grace, um, and just say briefly, I wanted to, I, I appreciate um, those who've come to speak, and I've appreciated being able to have the opportunity to talk to those who have serving as advocates and voices in our community um, around um, this topic, um, whether it is a proclamation or a resolution. Um, I appreciate the willingness of staff to help draft language um, that evokes a tone that is comfortable with many of the commissioners um, that sit on the da dais or dais. Um, unfortunately, um, it, this proclamation does fall a bit short for me. And I think why it does for me personally um, and also as an elected official here to be a voice for those in our community is how often in an attempt to not rock the boat we miss the opportunity in the message and in the message of the movement and I think in calling for advocating for peace that we miss that Peace requires justice, and that whether you omit the words ceasefire, no matter what you think the definition is, the calling of a ceasefire means bringing light to an injustice. And by advocating hard for the injustice and calling out the injustice and educating those on that injustice, you then start the pathway to peace. And so as we look at history and how we address injustices of whether it's different ethnic groups um, or anything throughout history, you cannot go from an extreme to peace until you have recognized and reconciled the injustice. And I think that is what's at the heart of um, what the group tonight is is calling for. And so whether it was a final decision for this to be a proclamation, I think a proclamation can invoke strong language, not to be provocative, but to call out the very injustice that which we are asking for peace. And so I just want us to be mindful of that. And you know, um, 
I'm taking a, you know, paraphrasing uh, a quote from Dr. King, where he says that true peace is not merely the absence of tension, but it is the presence of justice. And so if there is tension on a situation, there is an injustice that needs to be discussed. And until we address the tension, which is the injustice, there will never be peace. So I appreciate you allowing me that time. Thank you. Okay, um, I will go ahead and read the proclamation. Whereas the city of Lawrence is advocating for peace, understanding, and cooperation in the Middle East, particularly between Palestine and Israel, in the spirit of being a welcoming, equitable, and inclusive community, we reaffirm our commitment to rejecting all forms of racial, religious bigotry in our community, which includes Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. And whereas the ongoing conflict in the Middle East has claimed too many human lives and caused immeasurable suffering for countless individuals and families, the city of Lawrence acknowledges that many of our neighbors and coworkers are profoundly suffering as a result of this conflict. And whereas we must remember at the heart of this issue are ordinary people yearning for security, dignity, and opportunity to lead fulfilling lives, it is incumbent upon all of us, regardless of our affiliations or backgrounds, to advocate for humanitarian aid and resources that can provide a better future for the people of Palestine and Israel. And whereas this is not a task for governments alone, it requires the support and involvement of civil society, international organizations, and people like you and me. And whereas staying true to our values as a welcoming community, the city of Lawrence asks you to display compassion to all who are grieving. We encourage everyone to reach out and care for fellow citizens, coworkers, and friends. Our acknowledgement of their pain and suffering can potentially lessen the sense of isolation and fear that they might be experiencing. And whereas it is all of our responsibility to do everything in our power to promote understanding, foster empathy, and work to dispel stereotypes and biases that have perpetuated this disastrous conflict in Palestine and Israel. Now, therefore, I, Bart Little John, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, Kansas, to hereby pro proclaim the month of January 2024 as Advocating for Peace Month. Okay. That moves us on to general public comment, item C. The public is allowed to speak on issues or items that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. Comments should be limited to issues and items germane to the business of the governing body. The commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Members of the public will be limited to three minutes for pub public comment. I won't spend much time on that milk toast resolution that you just read or the volume with which you read it. I could barely understand you out there, so that was very hearty the way it was transmitted because most of these people back here are probably going to give you a few thoughts on how that went. Um, for the most part, I believe I pretty much agree with Ms. Sellers that if we're going to do something, let's do it. Let's not go halfway. But what I want to address is the fact that you guys are calling for justice to something that's happening overseas and you can't even figure out justice here. There is city video that exists that shows your chief of police lying to your community police review board. Not a one of you have said anything about it. 
Mr. Dever, you just got here, so you're not even in that yet. But where's Ms. Larson? Why can't she be here? Did she remember the meeting tonight? But you have your chief of police lying and members resigning. And when I said I broke that board, I meant I exposed your chief. But you guys ignored it. Why? Why is it that when I put something up that shows a discrepancy in this town, like homeless addicts getting trespassed from the TRC, the Treatment Recovery Center, when I put something up like that, I send it to you guys and I hear nothing back. I don't get a response to those emails. Occasionally, I'll get one from one person. Nothing from anybody else. But you guys will respond to other people that will send that to you. And then you have city people, Misty Bosch Hastings in particular, who I sent, a, I sent an issue to her and she removed me from a, from a forward from somebody else and responded to that person instead. That's disrespectful. And you can ignore me all you want, but you can't change the circumstances that we're in. You created a situation. You created a situation with me by ignoring problems, by ignoring your responsibility to justice, by ignoring your responsibility to actually put forward a community police review board that could do its job instead of being co-opted by the chief of police, a lying chief of police at that. And it turns out there's a little bit more about that chief. Turns out he's involved in other conspiracies out there in his past. We're gonna keep digging on those. People are contacting me, guys. I've been contacted by a few more people around here today that have had problems with your officers. They're coming to me because you won't do anything. Figure that out. They're coming to me because you won't do anything. Ask the questions and fix it. My name is Rowan Schering. Um, I wanted to come up here for a couple different reasons. Um, one of them is that, uh, like a few people out there were saying, um, I, I feel that if we're, if we can acknowledge that we can do everything in our power, we can also explicitly call for a ceasefire in Gaza. Um, I understand that the proclamation contains uh, that the statement initially about how the city of Lawrence is advocating for peace in the Middle East, particularly between Palestine and Israel, but it felt like the decision to explicitly leave out a actual call for a ceasefire was blunting the message a little bit in a way that was disheartening. Um, one of the other things I wanted to talk about was I'm concerned about the transition from the North Lawrence homeless camp to the Pallet Village because I saw a flyer that was released to service providers saying that only people who would follow certain rules and meet certain criteria, um, the pe only people who could be there are people who are elderly, uh, victims of domestic violence, uh, veterans or people who are physically disabled 
And I'm worried about how things like evaluations of who's physically disabled are gonna be made, um, what the cutoff it is for elderly, or if there's gonna be a specific definition for elderly. I, and I'm also just worried that people who are not going to meet those criteria are, are gonna be essentially abandoned because it, it was also stated that once the Pallet Shelter Village is open, the city will only provide support at the new village location. And I haven't seen anything indicating that there's going to be an exception made for, to these criteria for the people who were already living in the North Lawrence camp. Uh, so, so I'm concerned that this will effectively abandon the people who don't make that cut. Um, and there are lots of things that can lead someone to homelessness other than those few things. Um, or lots of people who are homeless who aren't just those few things, including, for example, that uh, the Pallet Village won't allow pets. Lots of people, you know, their dog is the reason they get up in the morning, and they're not going to be able to live there if, if that's the case. And I, I feel like, especially because people were so heavily encouraged to move to the North Lawrence camp over other places, um, and given that it was already stated that people who live there would have the first opportunity to move in. Excluding people from that now feels, it, it feels wrong. Thank you. Hello, I'm Jamie. The world has witnessed the most heinous acts of violence towards human beings, children, burned, blown to bits, missing body parts. The suffering is unspeakable, unspeakable, yet it plays out every day for nearly 90 days. It keeps getting worse. Starving a population to death, trapped under bombardment or rubble, they either get slaughtered or starve. Aid is blocked, missile drone snipers will kill every living thing in Israel's path. Any human with moral integrity can see the barbaric attacks against Palestinians and it must stop. Two million people are being tortured to death. Any human with the need for a permanent ceasefire is absolutely imperative. Perpetual, brutal violence towards an entire population, one million children, will never eliminate terrorism, but will only ignite more violence, bloodshed, which will result in more terror that will be directed towards those who cause it. Eyes are on Israel and the US. Diplomacy and calls to end the massacres is the only civil option. The US is increasingly isolated in their unwavering support of Israel as the UN votes showed that the US votes with zero conscious or zero concern for innocent human lives. The world sees this pure evil and cruelty towards Palestinians, yet our government continues to co-sign the bloodshed by passing Congress to hand over 147.5 million taxpayer dollars to bomb children and to commit grotesque violations of human rights. It is not controversial to say genocide is completely unacceptable. Allowing atrocities occur sends a dangerous precedent that can be turned around to justify violations of international law and crimes against humanity. Leahy law must be vetted by our state reps. 
I want you to see the pictures of few of these precious children, most likely killed by our US munitions. These children had names, they had stories, they had aspirations. We hand over billions to kill children, but struggle to meet budget deficits to house our citizens, to provide adequate health care and other vital resources to ensure equity within our community. From local officials all the way to the administration, you fail us without a ceasefire. It's disgraceful. Your science, silence is complicity. You either condone these crimes or you stand against it. It's time to pick a side. We need you not to cower. We need you to save lives. We need to use your voice. We need you to support a permanent ceasefire. Free Palestine. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Last time I was here, I was here to uh, advocate for the homeless. I encourage you to lean in and learn their names. Um, I still encourage you to do that. Um, I echo what uh, Rowan Turing said about the, um, about the high barriers that are put in place on this pallet village. But also, while you're leaning in and learning people's names, please learn the names of the people here tonight who are advocating for a ceasefire. Um, people are being harmed. Journalists are being harmed. This is not the first uh, cross-border attack that has happened in this conflict. I really, really, really urge you to advocate for a ceasefire as soon as possible because as a, as a parent of a small child, I, I just cannot imagine living every day in terror, just absolute terror, worried about my child getting hit by a bomb or a stray piece of shrapnel or starving or not having access to medical care. I mean, just go to the ER. Just go to the ER sometime and see how, how many families with children are there and just imagine that. But there's no doctor because there's no medicine. We need to advocate for a ceasefire. We need to make the kind of resolution that we made when we decided Black Lives Matter we need to be very firm and say what we mean. Thank you. Hello, I'm Samia. Um, I just wanted to echo some things that Commissioner Sellers said earlier about the proclamation versus the resolution in that the spirit of peace that is held in that proclamation is gutted by its inability to take action that would be um, within a resolution calling for a ceasefire, especially the portion you talk about Lawrence constituents themselves needing to be comforted, advocating for peace. I want to share what almost everyone out there advocating for a ceasefire has felt a profound isolation while calling for a ceasefire after months, and it's heartbreaking to say months, of seeing children and civilians killed every day. 
It is profoundly isolating to know that even within the first month of this genocide, the majority of U.S. constituents would support an immediate ceasefire, and yet seeing so many of our elected officials who we call daily not taking a strong enough stance against genocide and calling for an immediate and permanent ceasefire. I really respect the city of Lawrence for putting out this proclamation, calling for peace, and I still urge you to take the stronger stance of a resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire. It is a desperate need in the face of the thousands upon thousands of civilians that have died in this conflict. I thank you for your time. thank you all for serving our community and um, thank you for what you have done so far but I think it falls short like uh, some other people said um, it is genocide um, and they're saying that the numbers are actually including under the rubble 20,000 dead um, and there's so many more even before the Nakba and it's not much different from what's happening um, to the economically disadvantaged people that are living outside in our community. Um, a lot of people are dying uh, in all, all over the country that are living outside. From, um, from various things. The negligence and violence against them is unacceptable. Um, why, and then why, why was never, nobody ever prosecuted that we're hitting these people, purposefully hitting these people with cars down by Johnny's or down by the North camp. Um, I actually was down there. I've, I've been down there. Sometimes I go down there to um, Third Eye Sadies and stuff, and um, I was actually down there a couple months ago, and somebody was turning left on, trying to get onto the bridge. I was walking during a walk signal. They were turning left when they weren't supposed to, when they didn't have a, a, a third signal, and he was staring at me straight in the eyes, and I had to jump out of the way. And um, I talked to another time uh, 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 somebody down there, and they said that somebody purposefully hit their friend when they were walking uh, during a walk signal and broke their leg, and that they, they also almost got they almost got hit. So I don't know why nobody was ever prosecuted. These people hitting um, people with cars um, from from the camps, from the North Lawrence campus specifically. Um, and then also, where's the money that has been supposed to be used for housing people? Also, there's all this talk about mental health, mental health. There's also talk about people on drugs and people in houses. People housed people have mental health problems and housed people have, have, are on drugs, especially college students. 
So why is it only the, the people living outside that we focus on with these issues? Thank you. And thank you for all you do. I just think that we could do better. Eve. Um, I didn't really prepare a statement because I wasn't totally sure what to say. My name's Sarah Nice. I am the hub coordinator of Sunrise Lawrence. It's nice to meet you, Mr. Dever, um, Mr. Fingledye, Mr. Littergevon, and of course, Amber Sellers. I want to not waste a lot of time and just say I very much agree with what um, you were saying, um, that what was just approved really misses the mark in terms of what is needed. Um, <clears throat> while most people had a really relaxing holiday, we have not. We are waking up to the same violence and the same imagery that we literally can't escape. Um, I think anything less than a ceasefire falls severely short of what it should. Um, a ceasefire seems like the bare minimum. I'm not really sure what it is that's holding you all back, and I'd really like to know. I don't know if it's that maybe I need to buy you a coffee and we need to talk it out. What is it that is preventing you from saying we shouldn't be killing people senselessly because killing people does not solve um, any type of political issue? It doesn't. We saw what happened with Iraq and Afghanistan. When you arm people, they use those arms to terrorize people further, and then those people, the people who experience those injustices, then become further radicalized, right? We saw what happened with Abu Ghraib, where US soldiers were sitting in glee with prisoners, tortured in so many different types of ways. I was in high school and I saw that. And now we're seeing the same thing every day on TikTok. I'm like, I just want to watch a cat video. Nope, guess what I get to see instead? A child who's missing part of its skull. So anything less than a ceasefire is an absolute bare minimum. Additionally, I think it's really, 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 really telling that we have a white phosphorus manufacturer in town and that was somehow left out of what was just signed. White phosphorus is actually like a part of the Geneva Conventions, like it's not supposed to be used. I was actually rewatching the newsroom, someone told me it would be great. I don't really care for Aaron Sorkin, but I figured I had some time, might as well watch it. Um, in season two, there's an episode about whether or not white phosphorus was used in Pakistan, and they found out that that story, after airing it, wasn't real. But if it was really, it would have been a war crime, like it would have been absolutely devastating for the United States. But we're seeing it happen with our tax dollars, We've just sent two additional aid packages and arms to Israel in the last month. Additional, we spend $3.8 billion a year. And then on top of that, we've been giving more money. Like, what is it gonna take for you all? Happy to sit down and talk about it, but if I have to come here every week and be really annoying, I will do it. Like, I will not stop until we get what we need. Like, the fact that, I just literally. Time. Shut it down! Public comment. Go ahead. My name is James Richard. I am from the homeless of John, behind Johnny's cabin. Now, we've been homeless there for two and a half years. I have, anyways. And it's getting cold. Now, some of us don't have money. 
but why we should have a place to stay in our tents where we're cold. We should have equal privilege with restaurants, gas stations, as everyone else. I've been banned from proper movies because three guys wanted to walk towards me fast. But I get charged for something offense myself in the restaurant. What up with that? Basically, I shot a warning shot at the wall. To I'll tell all three of them to back off. See, I have anxiety. I have post-manifestation disorder. I have been through trauma that which none of you know and won't not even understand. But I shouldn't be charged with a battery for something for myself when I feel threatened in a restaurant. How's that going to look if that were to get out? Good evening, City Commission. My name is Jaden Nichols, and I have been a member of this community for 24 years. And um, I'd just like to talk on two things. First, I want to express my concern for the members of the camp across the bridge behind Johnny's, um, specifically for the ones who don't meet the criteria of the pallet town and who I desperately don't want to see abandoned by the city. And I'm not sure if you guys even have a plan for those people or their pets or even the people who meet the criteria, who have pets, who are not going to abandon them. I would just like to see you guys express some sort of concern or support for them. And then for the second thing, um, about your proclamation for your desire for peace, specifically in the Middle East against Islam and Palestine. Um, and it was super disheartening to hear not even you, you all like recognizing that it is a genocide and even omitting the word ceasefire from the pro proclamation is just <sighs> like, I mean, we've brought you nearly everything we could. We brought you statistics, we brought you protests and personal involvement and personal relationships with the genocide and with the citizens of Palestine. And you are still refusing any of it. Yeah, you're proclaiming you want peace, but you're not gonna have peace until you acknowledge the justice or the injustice in Palestine, or even just recognizing that a ceasefire would solve it, and leaving that out of your proclamation was just wrong. But again, just like last person up, or the second to last, I will be here every week until we get what we need, and that's you guys calling specifically for a ceasefire. Thank you. <clears throat> Any other public, public comment in the room? Not, I will go take us online. Sherry? Chris Flowers. Hi, 
Hi, um, this is Chris Flowers. Um, I just wanted to share my thoughts on the on on the the Gaza issue, I guess, or our proclamation is. Um, First, I found it interesting. I thought you all were working on a resolution, but what came back was a proclamation. And um, one of those differences is that a proclamation, that's just the mayor, I think. It's like, the like if you look at it, it's the mayor's signature, but a resolution, when three out of five of you had a vote on it. So I'm just wondering if maybe you all are trying to pass off a proclamation because there's not three of you who actually support a ceasefire. Because I, I, I suspect at least one of you supports Israel and doesn't want to get involved with this. So that's why I think there is a proclamation that came back instead of a resolution. Um, and also, we needed to say a ceasefire. That's what they asked you for. They didn't ask to come back with some middle of the road where both sides need to like promote peace. They, this, the group asked you for a ceasefire. So that's the number one thing that we're going to be making a statement about the Israel. Um, Palestine situation is we need a ceasefire. And also, I wanted to say that we want, Lawrence wants it, doesn't want its taxpayers' dollars towards going to help Israel commit suicide. That's something, I mean, that's how it relates to Lawrence is because our taxpayer dollars are going towards genocide. So that's what I'm calling for y'all. If you're making some kind of uh, a statement, that's what that's what I want the statement to say. And also, your this whole middle of the road thing. It's you you don't want to to offend the Israel supporters, but by being middle of the road, you're just offending everyone that's against genocide. So you need to pick a side, like. I, I, I'm just as disappointed you not doing anything as I would be if you voted on a resolution and then you it failed uh, like three to two or three of you vote against it. Because then at least I know where y'all stand. So I, I'm just saying pick a side. Let's get a resolution, vote on it. And if you don't like it, just vote against it. But at least... Let's get a resolution. Let's get this thing solved. And also, the proclamation, you could have done this weeks ago. Because you proclamation's just the mayor that needs to do it. So I just want to throw that out there. Let's get a resolution. Y'all vote on it. Thank you. That's all the comments, Mayor. Okay. All right. I will go ahead and move us on to the consent agenda. Uh, items on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and approved by one motion. Members of the governing body may remove items for a separate discuss discussion if desired. Members of the public may remove items identified as quasi-judicial for separate discussion if desired. Members of the public will be limited to three minutes for comments. Okay, I will put it forward to the commission. Any items you would like to remove? No, Mayor. No, sir. And do we have a... Quasi-judicial. Do we do not? Nope. We do not. Okay. Then I would entertain a motion. Move to approve the consent agenda as presented. I second that. Have a first and a second. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Hearing four. Four approved. None opposed. Um, okay. 
Moving on to item F, regular agenda items. Receive a connected city strategic plan update on the Lawrence Transit Downtown Station Project draft site selection and public outreach plan and consider approving resolution number 7518 for the steering committee member list and scope of work. Adam? All right, good evening everybody. Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. And let me get this pulled up. It's up on my screen, are you all seeing that? Uh, it'd be great if you hit share. Like Zoom. Gotcha. Awesome. There you go. Mm, okay. Okay, so talking downtown station tonight. And what we'll be walking through is the process we'd like to go through for site selection, uh, how public outreach will go, and um, take another run at what uh, transit improvements downtown look like. So before we get into that, just talk a little bit about how this work can advance the strategic plan. So uh, I list part of the connected city outcome area and how we're looking at supporting accessible, sustainable methods for moving people in our community and investment in helping do that uh, contributes to the well-being of folks here in Lawrence. There are a number of KPIs related to this work. I list those at the bottom. So uh, investing in multimodal infrastructure is a strategy that uh, should advance these KPIs. First one related to uh, resident satisfaction. Here with transit experience, CC2 also includes satisfaction with all the modes of transportation. Cost per transit trip, essentially higher ridership, um, means our cost per trip goes down, reducing the number of trips taken in automobiles, and also infrastructure projects that help account for, for climate change. Aside from the strategic plan, there are other city plans that reference uh, this work. So one of those is the Downtown Lawrence Plan, which calls for um, downtown station improvements as part of um, the multimodal efforts in that work, as well as T2050, which is the city's long-range transportation plan. It's part of Plan 2040 and uh, essentially the transportation chapter, and this work is called for in, in that process as well. We have been through a lot in uh, 23 years, so um, I won't read this word for word, but we'll go through some of um, how this work has looked. So uh, transit started here in Lawrence in 2000. Um, in the first decade and uh, a couple of years, was moved around a few times in the downtown area. A lot of that due to construction activity in the 9th and New Hampshire as, as different buildings went up and adjustments needed to, be ha needed to happen to provide space for that construction. 2013 was a year that uh, the commission landed on the 700 block of Vermont where we currently are at as a temporary transit hub until a permanent one could be established. So we've been uh, permanent temporary for a decade and um, have open central station and we'll talk about what that means as it relates to the downtown work. The teens, uh, those years were spent studying what a permanent transfer location uh, could look like. There were two different studies, 2014 and 2018. 
that sandwiched a 2016 Tiger Grant application where the city and KU attempted to get a multimodal facility um, near the Student Rec Center, actually on that parking lot. That was not selected by the, the federal government at that time. And at that time, the city and KU started discussing the Bob Billings and Crestline location. Just a few years ago, the city and KU finalized an agreement to move forward on establishing a central station at that site. And as that work began and we had some certainty about this new station, in parallel we began working on a route redesign study. Um, Bob Billings and Crestline is not a place historically we've had any transfers, so it required a new look at the system and how we could take advantage of that site, central part of town, um, but also where, where do routes still need to go. Uh, that work made it clear that downtown with all of the um, residents and jobs and people moving to and from this space, um, it really showed that there was still a need for transit downtown. There have been seven routes serving this area. Uh, as of today, there are now five. So we've reduced a little bit as Central Station has opened, but there's still a lot of activity um, down in this area with people transferring between routes. A couple of years ago, uh, summer of 21, uh, the commission did help advance the central station concept work. We were not ready um, at that time um, in the public eye to move forward on downtown improvements, having the right site, weren't quite ready. In April of 22, we did win a federal grant uh, through the state of Kansas, $1.6 million to support a $2 million downtown improvement project. So this is a grant funded project. The last few months, um, this last fall, we've been working uh, more directly with the Chamber and DLI, trying to connect uh, in particular with businesses um, who were uh, very critical of the last process, very worried about what um, this project meant and how it might change downtown, and have been presenting more or less the process that you'll see tonight um, and getting feedback from those stakeholders um, before we even got to this, this point so we could um, you know, bring that information to you all. Um, that's a slide change that didn't happen. This is January 24, but. So uh, one of the things we've been hearing is, you know, you just opened a new transit center. Uh, what are you doing trying to build another one? Um, so the, the purpose of this project is different than what we have going on at Bob Billings and Crestline. So uh, we are not talking about another large facility, staffed, um, a large building. What we're really talking about is improvements, um, some limited improvements that make that experience more comfortable, more safe, um, more uh, convenient operationally as our buses move in and out. So I've shown here on the, the top picture what our current downtown station looks like. We are on a parallel curb across from the library. And the lower picture is uh, Central Station. And I highlight some of the amenities um, that are on that platform that we're looking for in the downtown area. So weather protection canopies. Um, signage that tells people when the next buses depart, seating and wind protection. You see the sawtooth bus bay design over at Central Station, which allows uh, buses to get in and out independently um, without having to go first one in, first one out, the way they do right now. And the one maybe unique thing that would happen downtown is a uh, badge access driver restroom facility, so that drivers have 24 access, 24 seven, um, access to restrooms, which right now they cobble together with using the library when it's open, um, 
as they drive various places around town using businesses as they have layovers. So trying to make it a little more operationally efficient. So worth noting that with or without these improvements, there's still a need for people to move to and from downtown. Um, we will have routes continuing to serve this area. And uh, really the aim of this project is to make it more comfortable, convenient. We are worried about the riders today. We're also very interested in the riders in the future um, being a project that can serve Lawrence for decades. Some things that we've heard, uh, concerns from downtown businesses that we wanted to to face directly because we, um, you know, these ideas keep coming up and we need to talk about those. Uh, one of those is a perception that very few people are riding buses and um, is is the investment in the space it would take for downtown improvements worth, worth the space that could be used for something else, automobile parking, development, anything else. So uh, we currently have, um, or through 2023, we had about 560 daily riders from downtown. So that just puts a, a sense of the activity in that area. Another thing we hear is uh, that, that the behavior of transit riders is, uh, is unsafe. It doesn't feel like a safe place to be for people who maybe um, don't have as much experience riding the bus, or maybe they have and have had bad experiences. So we have done a couple of things to work on um, creating an environment that, uh, that feels safe for everybody. We have um, young kids riding our bus. We care about this being a safe space for all riders. And um, in summer of this last year, we worked on a rider suspension policy in coordination with our bus drivers and our, our operational team to help curb some behavior we were seeing on buses. Um, that also influenced our Central Station Code of Conduct, which was under development, is now um, live and active. We uh, put out a release about that last week. So there are certain behavioral expectations for how people act at Central Station, as well as downtown and um, across our services. A third item that comes up is that riders are uh, less likely to be people who live, work, and shop downtown. Um, and so we have uh, done some work to try to bring to light like, who are the people riding the bus. Um, there's a link here to a, a website. We had staff out riding and talking with people downtown, interviewing people on buses, and just um, having them tell us a little about themselves and, and who they are. Um, we maybe get a little bit of why they use the bus, but that wasn't really the point. Um, the point was to um, understand that there are people riding our buses who are students, nurses, teachers, uh, people who are servers downtown, um, people who are homeless, um, people who go to KU. There's all sorts of riders. So we're trying to paint that picture, um, especially for folks who maybe aren't on the buses as frequently or have never been on a bus of who is using this service. Hey, Adam, not to interrupt real quick, but in that last quote, did you ever dig a little bit deeper to ask? I'm a little bit concerned by that. Last quote that says that folks who ride the bus are not perceived to live, work, or shop downtown. To ask those who may have made those comments, what did they mean by that? What is a, what is the identity of someone who live and or work and or shops downtown? Um, I think there's some perception of. Uh, transit riders being lower income, we do skew lower income. You know, there are people that's an affordable service, a way for people to get around town. Um, but I think that is maybe carried farther and 
Um, it's, it's thought that maybe people who ride the bus aren't going to a restaurant, aren't going to a place downtown and spending money at those places. Um, I, you know, I think there's a perception of, of um, an automobile driver coming into our community from another community and spending money here. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, it's not, it's not unique to Lawrence. No. I think that type no. of perception is, um, is it, it exists in a lot of different places. So, um, I, I also think it can come from, um, uh, from folks who maybe haven't been on a bus yet and haven't seen the, the breadth and the, yes. and the, of that sort of thing. So, um, comes from a few different places. This is uh, not a direct quote. This is me paraphrasing, paraphrasing kind yeah. of what we've kind of heard and trying to... Um, Dress it head on as opposed to skirting around it. So I want to uh, reflect a little bit on the work a couple of years ago and what uh, did not go as well in that process and what we're hoping to do better. So we did rely on those 2014, 2018 studies to think about what areas downtown uh, would be um, acceptable for improvement. Um, and one of the guiding principles a couple years ago was to not look for privately owned property. You know, we were looking at spaces that were large enough for buses that the city already owned, i.e. parking lots, which led to a lot of discussion about parking spaces. Um, but we, we did not have a clear site selection guardrails, which you'll see we're trying to establish this time around. Um, what are the things we're gonna use to decide what an acceptable site is? There was confusion about how the downtown sites were selected. Um, the picture I included here is four of our staff who went out and hand-delivered 192 postcards to um, businesses and anyone with an open door on New Hampshire, Mass, and Vermont. And uh, that led to about 40 angry folks uh, joining us at a meeting late in the process. Um, uh, to tell us they weren't happy about where it was headed. So uh, that third bullet about it feeling rushed, I think we didn't, we weren't able to reach the right folks early enough. We, um, 2021 was maybe still a challenging time with COVID and virtual. We did have some in-person opportunities, um, but we didn't garner the right type of uh, discussions early enough. So moving forward, we're looking at uh, three phases that hopefully are more intentional, that don't feel rushed, that feel like we're walking through a process that makes sense to people. Um, I will walk through each of these and kind of what they mean in the next few slides. The first step would be establishing a steering committee, which we're uh, asking for action on that tonight. Um, that steering committee would help guide this process. Um, the two main components of that first phase are to define what we mean when we say downtown. What is that boundary where if a site is anywhere within that boundary, it effectively moves people to and from this area they're trying to move from. Um, we wouldn't put a downtown parking garage 10 blocks from downtown. We won't put a downtown transit station 10 blocks from downtown. So um, establishing a boundary is important. We know that through the process, there'll be a lot of ideas on where. So we don't want to get to the end of the process and say, we didn't consider this idea that's another block over. Um, so we're, we want to uh, have a good sense of what area we're looking at. I mentioned the criteria. Last time around, we didn't have a clear set of those. There will be very um, objective things that from transit operations we will look for. So you need a certain amount of space for five vehicles and sawtooth bays. You need a certain amount of space for weather protection canopies and seating. 
but there may be other uh, softer criteria, if you will. Um, are we willing to use park space? Um, what's our uh, What's our willingness to accommodate reduction in parking spaces? Does it need to be um, net zero? So things like that may end up um, you know, guided by the steering committee as criteria that any site idea would be um, evaluated against so that we can understand if it's meeting what the community is looking for. Second step would be to um, so, you know, if we have that boundary, soliciting all ideas uh, that we can think about within that to be evaluated against the criteria uh, the committee has helped establish. So, uh, you know, last time around we got uh, late in the process a lot of different ideas. Why don't we use part of South Park? Why don't we use part of, um, why don't we use the Journal World Building site? So, th those things have different. Um, uh, different concerns, right? A privately owned site means we uh, would need to go find some money to buy a privately owned site that we don't currently have in the budget. Um, parkland obviously has uh, um, importance for other reasons as well. So this step is really meant to make people, uh, the community, the people on the steering committee, stakeholders, business owners, uh, feel like they had the ability to propose what they think is a good idea and that we're not shutting that down on the, on the front end. Um, no idea is a bad idea. We will rank it against the criteria, and if there are some significant challenges, it might not be high on the list, but we're not gonna say um, no to anything. Until step three. Uh, so step three would be, you know, let's say we have 30 or 40 ideas uh, from folks. There will be some sites that just are not large enough. Um, there will be, uh, Hopefully, a group of sites we, we show here, you know, maybe there's in the neighborhood of 10 sites that can physically work. There's enough room. Maybe they're not all perfect, but um, they can work. So hopefully at this stage, that steering committee is bringing you all um, a list like this and saying, our group recommends you do the top three um, as far as doing concepts for each of those to move towards a, a final selected site. But if the commission's not comfortable with site number one, uh, they're comfortable with sites two, four, and seven, and they're all viable, um, we can work with that and we can move forward. Um, but the point is to, to get us to a place where we uh, are selecting from a group that can work. This slide kind of reinterprets the, the timeline I just walked through to just show we're essentially looking at a 2024 process. So there's those, those different phases we will work through. Um, again, we're looking for uh, approval of the steering committee resolution tonight, which will help us get going on this work and uh, looking at design and construction in 2025. So really spending the bulk of this year um, on finding the right place and then um, looking at design, full design and construction next year. I won't go through each of these bullets, but I wanted to be transparent about what our outreach uh, is going to look like. So we're guided by uh, IAP2 strategies. Um, there are uh, a number of different ways we can do outreach. We know we want to make sure we're doing a mix of in-person and virtual. Um, we know we want to try to hit different levels of IAP2 engagement. So the steering committee level it will be the highest level of engagement at Collaborate. You know, that group is really, uh, it's led by non-staff. Staff are there to um, help and uh, 
provide in good information, but that steering committee uh, is guiding the process. Really all of the uh, in-person um, type engagement is at the consult level, so trying to show people things, get their ideas on what they uh, do and don't like about different, uh, different ideas. And then you see a couple of places where we want to make sure we're engaging throughout the process, specifically uh, DLI in the chamber and reaching our business community that we weren't able to reach as well um, last time around. So trying to involve them in the process. The one thing that's not showing up on here is the uh, inform level, which is just all the communication that we'll do throughout the process. That certainly will happen, but um, didn't decide to list out every press release, social media post, uh, things like that, that we do to get information out. I'll just highlight in blue, you see that it's our intention to bring things to the commission for vote as we hit different steps so that we're not waiting all the way till the end um, for that. So we want to bring the boundary in front of you, we want to bring the site selection criteria, and then uh, towards the end have our, our list of sites that we're looking for three to-do concepts on. This is our proposed steering committee. Uh, we really want to keep it, uh, functional committees are our best and around nine to 11 members. So we've got an 11 member committee, a 12th is the, the non-voting chair. So uh, this is our um, group that we thought would have the most um, necessary input uh, for this process to, to get us to a good conclusion. You'll see on the next slide, this is not all of our stakeholders. There are a lot of people invested in what this uh, project and what transit service means. So we're not leaving any of them out, but um, for the working group that, that meets and tries to walk us through those steps, um, this is the group that we think can, can get us there. Here's some of the additional stakeholders that we uh, have included in the route redesign study and a lot of our engagement. We make sure that we talk with each of these types of groups, um, our universities, our, our public schools, um, folks who are unhoused, other people doing social service or sustainability or transportation work. Um, all of those folks are, are um, directly engaged by us as we get into outreach and surveys and anything where we're trying to get input and feedback. So um, to return to an idea kind of early in the presentation, why, why are we doing this? Why do we need this? Uh, so uh, transit does not use any um, property tax dollars for our revenue and our budget. Uh, our only local funding is a sales tax, a 10-year sales tax that was voted in 2017, 70% supported by voters. Um, so this community has, has told us that they, they want transit service um, and they want quality transit service. We leverage that local money, which is around four and a half to five million each year. Um, we more than double it with annual formula grants that we get from the state and the federal government. And then we further push that by going after competitive grants. Uh, we've run a few electric bus grants. This project is a competitive grant we won through the state um, to bring money that would have went to other communities if we didn't win it. So um, that's the work we're, we're committed to. This community has big sustainability and density goals. Um, that work requires that some people use shared ride service, not everybody. We're not here to force everybody to get in a bus and um, drop their car forever. But we, if we're trying to move more people with less space and less space for parking, um, we, have to, we have to do that in buses and 
coordination of walking and biking, different things. And for more people to use that service, it has to be quality. It's got to be comfortable. It can't be a sidewalk with one shelter and no indication of when your next bus departs. So um, that's the work that we're trying to advance for the city's sustainability and density goals. And there are some national statistics about uh, investment in transit and what it, and how it returns to the community. Um, every $1 invested with national statistics, about $5 return. So that comes in a lot of forms. Um, you know, people riding the bus do uh, usually as a more affordable service that they spend money they otherwise would have spent on an automobile and gas on things in their community. Um, we've got people riding the bus who work here, shop here, live here. And so, um, our work is supporting that. We view um, an important slice of what we do as economic development, and so um, this work can can help advance those goals as well. So the uh, items we're looking for uh, feedback from you all. Of course, there's the action um, to uh, approve the steering committee and. Um, uh, start on those appointments, but looking for feedback on that scope of work, what you saw in there, um, the membership, if you have concerns about that, or, or how we might engage stakeholders who aren't on steering committee memberships, because uh, we certainly don't want to miss voices this time around. Uh, we felt like that happened last time, and we don't want it to happen this time. I think I have a thank you slide, but this one's probably more appropriate to stay on, so happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Adam. <clears throat> At this time, I'll open it up to questions from the commission. I have a few questions. Um, just kind of some of the questions <clears throat> I'm getting from folks otherwise. You mentioned some of the criteria. So one question, do, do the five spaces need to be in a line? I mean, all on one side of the street in a line? Can they be on two sides of the street? Can they be on two blocks? Can they be two blocks apart? Or, how contiguous do they need to be? Or is that something yet to be determined? So uh, our downtown layovers are structured to be, um, we have buses that meet up for about five minutes. That's usually kind of best practice. And so we'll need people to be able to feasibly walk or wheel themselves from one bus to another within that amount of time. So um, I think there's flexibility in them not being all on one side of one street. I think they could be on opposite sides. I think they could feasibly be across an intersection if there were you know, improvements to make that a comfortable walk back and forth, but they would need to be close. Um, we couldn't have two in one place and three yeah. several blocks away. So that would be the constraint there. Uh, but in theory, it could be you know, on a corner, two on one side, Correct. three on the other, or opposite sides of a street or something like that. And practically, I think we're going to have to evaluate things like that, mm -hmm. you know, just the, realistically with the space downtown. Um, you know, there was some discussion about, um, you know, we have asked for some proposals on um, the parking lots, and I think you have some opinions on whether or not a private partnership could work or how that works without funding. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So we, uh, we're coordinating with KDOT on the uh, federal money that they're helping shepherd to us for this project. And they provided guidance. They, they were leery of us uh, engaging in that type of public-private partnership and being able to work on a reasonably fast timeline. They thought maybe we'd slow ourselves down. They thought maybe we'd slow the development down of parking lots. So um, at this point, we are um, planning on going through this process 
essentially excluding um, those RFP parking lot redevelopment sites as options for this. Um, if a, if a, a Giddy developer comes towards us and really wants to incorporate transit in a unique concept, I think we could re-engage with KDOT and talk through what that would mean. Um, there are, uh, you know, there's a NEPA process we'll have to go through um, with, you know, an environmental checklist and different things we have to answer. Uh, we'll learn how, what types of studies are required as we narrow down to those concept sites. Um, but I think that's a concern for our state partners who want to see a project delivered in a reasonable timeline. Um, so it's, it's an almost no and not a complete no that, that we could be involved in those RFP work. Um, I notice we do not have anyone from KU Transit Advisory or KU Transit thoughts on why that is. They have their input otherwise or more on the staff level or what's the thought on that? You know, um, I think so us in the university work so closely as a it, try to be an administrative one. I mean, we are separate, separately funded and, and control the purchase of our vehicles and the structure of our routes. Um, they'll definitely be involved through the process. They won't have any um, direct routes that serve downtown. Um, so I think that was probably part of the thought process that they, uh, they, they maybe wouldn't have as much of a stake on where, um, but certainly will be involved uh, as, a, as a close partner that we meet with weekly on, on transit service. And my last question, I, just to confirm what you said, previously we had seven routes, and as of, I guess, today, oh, we were down to five routes that come downtown? Correct. And do you think that will change that 560 number, the, the 560 people using it in 2023? Do you think it's going to decrease it, or maybe with the new bus hub increase it, or do you have an idea yet? Yeah, there's bound to be changes. I'm not sure we know exactly where they'll be yet. You know, so part of, um, yeah, there's that change, obviously. We've got uh, new transfers in place. We never had them before. We've got a reduction in transfers here. We've got Sunday service starting on the 7th. So our ridership's going to move. Uh, we're not sure where. And um, uh, we know that Fare Free has helped us increase that ridership. It'll be interesting to see if... Uh, um, you know, we hold that with changes. I think there will be um, probably some lag as people figure out what their new routes are and how they can use these new these new systems. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Sellers? Yeah, just a couple of quick questions. Thank you. Um, for uh, <coughs> CC9 costs, the cost per fixed route passenger trip that you um, mentioned. With us, how I know currently on the website it says it's about, bless you, about $10 right now. Is that accounting for the fact that last year and this year we've been doing fare free or what all goes into that, that value? Um, so it's a function of ridership. We have a, uh, we have a cost for the service and we have a number of rides that we delivered last year. So we haven't updated that number okay. yet as 2023 just ended, but we'll we'll update that. And the idea, right, is to drive it. The lower you drive it, it means the more uh, rides you're getting for the money you're putting into the system. Okay. And kind of similar to in the same vein of where Commissioner Finkeldeit was coming from, I know we've received emails from folks um, representing families or children that ride that are USD 497 students. 
Um, but I noticed that the school district is part of the additional stakeholders, but we were very, I don't know, that they're not part of the steering committee. Is there a rationale for why one or the other? Or do you feel like because of the level of ridership may not be? Well, we've certainly got a, a lot of stakeholders. It's, you know, with downtown, it's trying to think about, you know, who can help us best guide the stickiest issues for a site in this area. So, um, you know, certainly some of the concerns we've heard from school district has been a lot about service. We need an additional trip here to make getting to school earlier. That That's not closely related to downtown improvements. So, um, I don't know that we currently view the school district as having a strong stake in the wear of the downtown site. Um, I know we've heard, uh, you know, certainly proximity to the library from uh, through the last process. Mm -hmm. um, so there's certainly that to consider. But um, go back to my list for a second and just remind gotcha. myself. Um, you know, looking at some of these, certainly business communities represented. You see things like. Uh, library and senior resource center because they're they've currently they've been close to the downtown transit center for the last 10 years and right. have a sense of what that means to be a neighbor um, uh, drivers and riders we've got people living and working downtown so um, not be certainly not trying to keep no, no, schools no. out of it uh, just trying to think of who's you know if we have a small group what's the most targeted group you could receive it from an indirect, so you may get that information indirectly from the library. But. We also, I mean, worth mentioning, we have a general public um, appointee that will, um, you know, once we get the uh, steering committee actually functionally set up on the website, people can apply and and you'll all be able to evaluate those applications for appointments. Um, you know, the general public is more or less a catch-all. Have we missed somebody? Have we missed a voice that you think should kind of uh, be part of this work? That's not specifically a downtown resident, downtown employee, these different things. So kind of in the same vein of, a, of the downtown plan, but mixing in a little bit my next, my last question as it relates to the central station, but also with, down, with the downtown station. We'll, with the new central station, we'll have the K-10 connector moving out of there and as we look at density and ridership and share ride I know I think I've posed this question to you before but as we start to look at opportunities heading back west so to Topeka knowing that we do have there's a lot of traffic um, that I-70 picks up you know and I was one of those folks that you know if I missed missed the ride share bus then of course I had to drive my own car but we know that there's the rideshare program with the state for state employees. Is there maybe in your vision of this, is there opportunities similar to like the K-10 connector to do something like that as a rideshare opportunity for downtown folks and that, well, I mean, for at least the downtown station, or at least creating another hub area for those type of, that type of program. Or can you see something like that happening in a downtown? Yeah, I mean, there's always that opportunity. We, we try to um, continue to foster relationships with those partners. Um, you know, I, a handful of years ago, I worked at Topeka Metro, and we were trying to look at something that would connect uh, Topeka and Lawrence. Um, the work with K10 Connector, it's always tricky to run a service between two communities right. who inevitably think the other one is benefiting more than they are. So it's not work that can't be done. It's work that's hard. Um, so uh, uh, certainly something that we'd like to continue to figure out. I mean, think about all the... Um, the burgeoning stuff coming in Kansas City with um, 
Panasonic with World Cup. Uh, mm -hmm. there's, so there's a lot of reasons to try to foster easier regional um, transportation, and uh, you know we've, we've tried to work directly with partners, but also through the state on how how can we get these things set up where everybody feels good about the service, who runs it, who owns it, right. uh, all that. Um, I had a quick question. Um, you mentioned the grant. Um, what's the timeline of the grant? Typically, uh, KDOT gives us, well, the federal grants, this is a 5339 mm -hmm. um, uh, federal program. Uh, it's usually a five-year timeline. Mm -hmm. So uh, we won that April of 22. So we've got a little time, uh, but certainly want to work as quick as we can knowing that things can come up. Um, especially when you're doing environmental review type work, um, especially when the uh, public process needs to take some time. So, uh, but five years is typically what the government looks for. Sometimes they, they let you roll some of that over, but they uh, get, get pretty nervous and can affect our ability to win future grants if we're not putting that money right back out. Gotcha. Yeah, and thank you. Um, I also I did, had an additional question, kind of similar to the vein of Commissioner Frank Hodai when he was asking about the the uh, footprint of the station itself and uh, in relation to our ridership last year was 560 and we don't quite know what it'll be. I just wanted to see how fluid it, it still could be, you know, towards the, when we, when we get to the site design process. So that, you know, if we don't necessarily need the, the size footprint we thought we need or if we needed a bigger one, that we could still make, navigate that change. Yes, I mean, I think there'll be flexibility that the, the sawtooth design that exists out at Central Station is important for operational needs so that no bus ever blocks another one. You can shrink a footprint by not having that. Um, and what that creates is a first one in, first one out. Uh, nobody really knows where their bus is ever going to be, this type right. of situation. So there will be, be a uh, minimum size, hmm. uh, but as um, Mr. Fingold, I mentioned, it can be broken up in different ways okay. um, to try to alleviate some of the space concerns that are probably going to be through this process. Okay. Yeah, I do. Um, thanks for the presentation. I really appreciate the update. Have you got any sense of what a um, downtown facility is going to cost overall. I, I know what the grant money is, but have you spoken to, I didn't hear tonight, but previously kind of the overall budget for a downtown facility? As far as maintenance and that type no, of thing? No, just to build it and to put it in place and then operations, you know, that's going sure. to be the future. But how about just to get it up and, you know, running? Yeah, we, uh, we costed some of that out a couple years ago. Things can change. I think we'll have to use... Um, uh, different materials in some cases than we used at Central Station. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we're, we're going to have a baseline cost for the concrete so that the area doesn't get beat up uh, with heavy traffic. But I think the canopies, our space will probably have to be a little more creative. Um, the canopies alone and the way steel costs have gone, um, those canopies out at Central Station are about a million and a half dollars. So um, we're, we're not going to be able to do the same thing down here. Yeah. But there's a lot of other um, styles that I've seen in other cities that, that use some different strategies to get coverage where you need it and, and do things that are less expensive. So I think we feel pretty comfortable in the, um, in the $2 million budget range. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we continue to budget and don't plan to um, expand that. Some of our operational costs have gone up, so we really can't, um, we can't afford too much to be pulling in more uh, for capital type 
type uses. And there's not any, is there any um, overflow available within the budget or within your existing funds for uh, stationary improvements or infrastructure improvements from the fund? Do you have any idea if, if we did meet a point where we went over 10% or 20%, we would have the wherewithal to, to do it the right way and to, right. to deal with those problems without having to come to the pack, you know, to taxpayers once we get this thing going? Right. So uh, those are all great points because things do shake out a little differently once lines start hitting the page and we decide what, what cost will actually be. Um, a lot of value engineering done on Central Station that still got us what we needed, what we wanted, but um, but got us where we could afford. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a... Uh, I think that's a benefit of taking this year just for um, site selection. Is it gives us a little time for that. I think if it's, uh, you know, depending on the committee's work, if it's possible to... Um, get done in 10 months instead of 12, that would help us as we look at the future budget, um, Mm -hmm. be able to get quicker to the concept stage, which really starts to clarify cost. Um, So there's going to be wiggle room. We do have a um, reserve fund that's still pretty healthy. Um, We're we're looking to make sure we keep that at about um, a year's operating cost so that we always have, uh, you know, ability to... um, maintain service if, if something were to happen, but uh, but we're still in pretty good shape there to bring in a little bit. 10% probably not an issue. Um, 30% probably starts to be a <laughs> question of like, what can we afford not to put in now right. that maybe we could do later. And then just to follow up on that, what do you, as far as the size of an area or the aerial extent of a parcel, how big of a piece of land um, from an acreage standpoint or a square foot standpoint, um, would, would you propose as a minimum with the sawtooth, just so I can understand what you're looking at? Um, put it in context of like a downtown block and let's talk north mm-hmm. to south. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, six bays would about fit on one length of a block. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, you know, the 2021 process, we were looking at between um, 8th and 9th, mm-hmm. and we had programmed it for five bays. There was another space that was going to be programmed for a little pocket park, mm-hmm. um, but that could have fit one more. So okay. cons- consider a city block roughly six. So um, that maybe gives you a sense of what sure. That's perfect. three Thank and you. two would look like. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Okay. Any further questions? All right, I will move us on. Thank you, Adam. I'll move us on to uh, public comment then. Open public comment. Uh, my name is Brad Ziegler. I'm a property owner and business owner downtown. Uh, I noticed on the stakeholders, the people on that committee, there are no property owners, business owners on that list. I feel we are a stakeholder. I can see maybe why you didn't put KU on there because they don't actually own property downtown, but I feel as a business owner, I've not met one business owner that's in favor of this. If they're out there, I haven't talked to them yet. I think what you're gonna have is business owners down here lobbying for this not to be on their block. I was spent the whole morning down there today, actually videoed a lot of it. It's not safe in front of the library. I think the library doesn't want it there anymore because they don't want the nuisance of the people that are on these buses. I would not take young children on that sidewalk this morning. 
I saw one assault, so alcohol use. So I've heard some of the statistics about this is bringing people downtown shopping and employees coming downtown for work. Maybe that's on a different day. It wasn't this morning. It wasn't the, I spent oh, half a day there, so maybe six hours. Talked to several people. That wasn't the case that I ran into this morning. So I think some of the numbers, the ridership that you're getting, I think are, are, are skewed. I don't agree with, I've watched some of the meetings from 2022. Um, there was talk about maybe bathrooms for ridership, not just bathrooms for the, the bus drivers. Um, that was brought up, and then the possibility it was mentioned by uh, Mr. Weigel of having maybe those could be staffed by off-duty police officers, which would definitely be a necessity to have open bathrooms downtown. The cost of that for one off-duty police officer for, uh, I believe, I'm not sure exactly the hours of the bus, but if they were there six days a week, eight hours a day, that cost is roughly $190,000 a year to maintain a security officer for these public restrooms, which will be needed. So that's almost 10% of the cost of the project, and that's ongoing. That won't stop. Uh, there aren't, if this was a, a thing that business owners felt was going to bring business and commerce to our downtown, we'd be lined up down here trying to get it on our block. And that's just not happening. I'm all for great public transportation. I don't know that we are quite there yet to take this big a step. We just have this central station. In my observations this morning, I didn't notice any buses have any trouble pulling in and out of their current locations. They seem to come and go with ease. Uh, there Time. weren't very many people used. Thank you. Hi. Andrew Holt, Executive Director of Downtown Lawrence, Inc. Um, first of all, I want to say that um, I appreciate uh, Adam and his staff's uh, a good trust and, and good faith in, in this process so far. Um, he and his staff came and spoke to the uh, Downtown Lawrence, Inc. members in November. Um, gave a very good presentation and has been open so far, so um, we appreciate that. Um, I would just add uh, that I think one of the additional concerns for um, the business and property owners would be uh, disruption to parking uh, that they feel is necessary, imperative uh, to the success or existence of their business. So I think that um, the other concerns were accurately reflected. I would just throw that in also um, as a concern. Um, also, as far as the steering committee, um, I'm very happy that you have uh, the people on it that you do have. Um, and I think that uh, a representative from DLI would provide a, a holistic view. Um, nonetheless, we are an organization. Um, and I think it would be important um, to have a building owner or a business owner in addition to the people you have on the steering committee. Um, I know you don't want a steering committee to get too big and unwieldy, uh, but I would highly encourage that. Again, uh, I appreciate the good faith effort so far. Thank you. Any further public comment in the room? 
All right, Sherry, uh, can you check uh, online? Chris Flowers. Hi, this is Chris Flowers. Um, I just have some thoughts about the shareholders. Um, I think it's kind of uh, bullshit that you're putting both downtown Lawrence Inc. and the chamber. Like, why do businesses need two organizations? Like, why shouldn't they just get one? And also, why should they be represented by an organization? Do businesses need to pay to be part of downtown Lawrence Inc. or the chamber? Because here's the thing. Let's say some business is going to get screwed over. Is the chamber going to choose the business that's a member to get screwed over, or would they choose a business that wasn't a member of theirs? Because I think that's what it sounds like is a possibility that some business is going to lose, we're going to change parking around. So if we're going to represent businesses, then why should it be a requirement that they're um, a member of the chamber or downtown Lauren Zinc? I say get, or get rid of both of them and just place them with uh, that you uh, two um, appointees that own businesses downtown without requirement that they're it's downtown Lawrence or the chamber and also another problem I have is why can't there be representation from like an appointee that from the homeless community because you have um, appointees from groups that came came here to uh, bitch about the homeless so they they don't want the homeless downtown so some of those their decisions could be based on that so why shouldn't there be a voice that's going to advocate for what's fair to the homeless so and also I would argue that you have dare you have link you have you have charity serving the the um, homeless downtown and you you mentioned something about the senior resource center so why are seniors being considered and not the homeless for their um, nonprofits or whatever that's going on downtown and sorry I'm losing breath um, when it comes to driver bathrooms I've seriously asked the drivers would they be in favor of bidets I talked about it before but um, it's more environmentally friendly it could save money and also um, it's more fair to people who have issues that cause them to poop more than the average um, okay that might 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 not be a driver job but if in future Let's start thinking, if we're going to be building bathrooms, how can we make them environmentally friendly and more fair to people that have issues that make them poop a lot? And if it could save money. So I, I ask that you at least ask drivers, would there be any interest at all I'm, in I'm, if you build up a day if they use it? Thank you. That's all the comments, Mayor. Okay. Bring it back to us. Start Mayor. a discussion. I had a quick question uh, for Andrew. I know you had mentioned um, wanting to have a business owner. So the fact that we have a designee that says that we have one downtown Lawrence Inc. representative appointed by DLI, is it the assumption that that could be a business owner or are you assuming that you would serve in that capacity? 
I'm not assuming anything at this point. I think that even if it was a business owner who was appointed as the DLI representative, that probably they would be asked uh, to look at it in a, in a more holistic approach. And I think that um, it would be nice to have a building owner or business owner to give uh, an individual a viewpoint, uh, a specific endpoint. A viewpoint, excuse me. So that's that's really the thought there. Also, um, so I, I, to answer your question, I can only partially answer it. I, I don't know if it's going to be just a general rep or it would be a business owner, since we haven't gotten to that stage. So Adam, is your thought for the steering committee for someone representing a chamber appointee or a DLI appointee that what role would they serve? Is it that? they would be able to bring both capacities, a more holistic as well as an interpersonal aspect to this, or? I guess now I'm the one assuming. I was, yeah, uh, when, yeah. we that, when we put that <laughs> All these list together, I think we were thinking that DLI and the chamber would probably appoint business owners to have that voice, um, or building owners. So I think that was what we were thinking as opposed to like staff members who try to speak for an organization. Um, but. Perhaps we didn't make that clear in our, uh, you know, scope and, and the way that resolution came together. Yeah. Um, Adam, it's as well. Uh, sorry to have you go ahead and stand up again. Uh, to what Mr. Flowers brought forth, um, I didn't really see. Am I missing someone on there from like you know the unhoused population or like you know any social social service population um, that might be on that? Uh, we didn't specifically list someone who was unhoused. A bus rider is on there as somebody. Um, I think uh, we, we definitely want to make sure um, uh, anyone, unhoused or otherwise, can can be at all these meetings. And um, we, we need different voices to be talking together. What happened in the process a couple years ago is we'd have a meeting with one set of voices with one viewpoint, and then we'd hear pretty much the opposite from a different group of folks at the next meeting. So that's that's our concern and desire is to make sure that viewpoints are together talking with each other throughout the process. And so um, that doesn't preclude um, someone who uh, doesn't live in a home, can provide more challenges, uh, but certainly if there's a, a bus rider or the general public member who's interested, don't have a home, happy to keep them in the process if they're interested in where the bus station is going. And Adam, to that point, looking at your additional stakeholders, he's not to, you know, again, uh, you know, we can say assumptions, but in that whole piece of, you know, consulting and involving, is there, you know, there's, I, I feel like there's a way to whether it's through the community shelter or through partners that serve our unhoused, that that could another, be another way to involve or consult Absolutely. our unhoused community as well. Through, through route redesign, we did uh, intentional and different outreach with different groups of people. So, um, you know, we, we had an online survey for a lot of folks to tell us about route changes um, as we were going through that route redesign process, and we had a stack of paper surveys that we went out to the shelter to engage people with in a, um, a more manual way who maybe didn't see or have access to a computer. So um, so there's different ways to make sure we're reaching these different groups and going to where they're at, the places they already gather, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. All right. Thank you, Adam.
until one of us has another question. <laughs> what are we thinking? Um, looks like they are asking us feedback on the draft steering committee scope of work and feedback on the draft steering committee membership. Are there any important voices we're missing? Who wants to dive in? I think you've. I think we've kind of reached out onto the issue of of, of the appointments, mm -hmm. and I think that's going to be sticky no matter what happens. So, I do agree that it's important to have um, voices representing the people most most impacted by the use of the system, as well as the placement of of this system um, appurtenance. So, I feel like if we are focused on getting the best people to represent um, the group and also show up to the meetings and be a, you know participate because this is going to be a long-term um, I think process and so it's going to be a time commitment I think it's important to get people who are you know be willing to be involved um, I, I think it's important to get somebody who uses the bus on a frequent basis I feel like um, uh, I don't want to get into splitting hairs on the downtown ownership versus downtown business owner because a person who owns a building versus a person who operates a business or, you know, obviously have two different uh, viewpoints. And so um, I think it's important we get one of each if possible, if in reality, um, because um, some have long-term, you know, impacts and, and concerns and some have short-term impacts and concerns. And I feel like that's important for us to look at as well. Um, but I, I, I feel like these were a decent uh, stab at the best people to be involved with this process. Um, I, I, I see land on the list. I, I understand that the neighborhoods need to be involved. I guess my question is, um, you know, is land the appropriate person to be, or should we be putting somebody else who's more frequently involved in transit on this or more directly impacted by our decisions? I, that's the only thing that comes to my mind. But I feel like land might represent the neighbor, which would be the closest location to the downtown and so I feel like they might be an important part to this as well but if we're trying to keep the group the same size and we want to swap out members that's the only thing I can see as far as uh, replacement goes uh, only because um, I wanted to understand the involvement of land at this point um, specifically seeing that it's a downtown and and, and we're going to be de defining the borders of downtown I think that's probably one of the reasons they're involved but I wanted um, some clarification on that if possible. Yes, I think that was what we were aiming for. You know, that uh, downtown is uh, bordered by neighborhoods. Yes. So, mm -hmm. um, so I think we we're interested in just making sure that voice was at the table. Okay. So, is there a point where we involve them in the definition of the borders and then mm -hmm. bring in another person into the process to? I, I guess we're, you know, as each person is involved in their area of expertise, I want to make sure that we get the most impactful voices as part of this. And um, you know, I don't. I'm not saying it wouldn't be. I'm just saying other people have brought up members that might be more suitable, I don't want to exclude those people. Sure. Yeah, and we, so me or our staff is very purposely not the chair of this group, yeah. so that non-voting chair I think will be important. Um, I think as we, if we discover things like that where it's the right time to make sure we're uh, taking a special approach with a different group or, or partner, um, uh, hopefully that group rallies around that idea and, and we do that, um, and we're happy to support it from staff. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, I think, you know, going to that, I mean, um, you know, we've done this with the, the code development committee. I mean, you could see, you know, someone from land, for example, I mean, someone from West, someone who lives in Old West Lawrence, 
versus someone who lives in East West Lawrence, old East Lawrence versus Old West Lawrence, excuse me, um, if they're representing themselves, might have different views. If, if we're, we're appointing someone from land to try to get all of the information, mm-hmm. um, we don't care where they live. Right. The goal is that they're gathering information from the association and all the members of the association mm-hmm. and then providing that. You know, we, um, you know, so again, the theory I think of DLI or the chamber is, as was mentioned, I mean, hopefully the person representing DLI is just not representing themselves, but instead that they're out there talking to the DLI membership, getting feedback, and then, you know, bouncing ideas off them and then bringing that perspective back. Um, so I do think those are slightly different um, in a person who owns a downtown business, just like a resident, an employee, a bus rider. I mean, I would, you know, I think I would. You know, support a downtown you know business owner to go along with the downtown employee, the downtown resident, and have that person you know more speak for you know themselves. I guess the one that struck me was more the the I mean, both the public library and the senior resource center. Um, you know, I guess those both jumped out at me as they're there because that's where the current the current uh, facility is, but they may or may not have, you know, what, are they looking just at themselves, looking just at their organization, or are they looking at the bigger picture like some of these others? So, I mean, I guess, you know, library is clearly a, a big user, senior resource center is, could be a big user too. Again, I would probably lean towards taking one of them out if I was adding one, not LAN, mm-hmm. and let LAN bring that membership in. But I might lean towards taking the maybe the Senior Resource Center out. But that's – or I could, you know, expand the size. I'm not against mm-hmm. expanding the size either. Right. But right. <laughs> um, well, Adam – sorry. No, go ahead, Mayor. Um, Adam, how sticky are we on this uh, 11? <laughs> um, Mary. <laughs> Yeah. It's up to the chairperson. <laughs> you know, the intention is just to, to grow, grow, grow. We, we have a ton of different um, people who have thoughts about transit that we work with weekly uh, and yearly. So um, our, our group could be 40 if we wanted it to be. <laughs> we, broke, we broke into a number of different meetings throughout Redesign to try to group um, different like stakeholders and make it uh, good conversations. So I think we can survive if we expand a little bit and still have a good conversation. Um, I think that's just the target number that's kind of out there as like a good working group. Okay. While you're up here, tell me again why the Senior Resource Center, what was your thinking on that? So those, those two, Senior Resource Center and um, Public library. I think we, um, going back to the slide about perception of riders and behavior and just kind of what it what it's like to be near the transit system. I think is what we uh, want to make sure that's part of that conversation, um, as as because uh, I think that can have an impact on on where we're looking at. So um, that was the voice uh, that we were interested in, in having part of, part of this group. Um, and so not necessarily specific to their users necessarily, but as a neighbor of transit for 10 years, um, what's your perspective on what that's like or, um, that sort of thing. But they could speak to users. Yes. Because we just had a conversation about 
students. And if we, if the library was to grow access to activities for students, then how those students will be able to utilize that. Or if we were to magically come across funding and we redid our downtown community center, that could be a location for activities for youth and how do we enable to create equitability for youth to be able to get downtown to utilize those. So I, I think there's a, I think to your point, it's because of the adjacency to those two entities having adjacency to current, um, to the current transit system, but also is there an opportunity there to increase ridership because now we're talking about how does that movement go in relationship to Central Station and route design. So I think that goes back to why the representation on the steering committee is important. I would be very leery of having someone that's representing an entity coming to a steering committee to just represent themselves. Like, lands representatives should, to Commissioner Vinkadai's point, represent the voice of land, not Old West Lawrence, not Elna, not any of the ones that I'm currently forgetting right now because I haven't had anything to eat today mm. and whatnot. But I would have Larry, you know, I live in an area where we don't have an active neighborhood association so is there where does the opportunity come for because there's no organization of my association but yet I have a voice and there's individuals in our neighborhood that has a voice to ensure that that voice gets heard and so the think of you know if we want to have a, you know a downtown business owner or we define what that is or we say a downtown property owner and that is outside of the purview of what a DLI representative or a chamber representative is then let's let's say that but I don't want I feel like it defeats the purpose of a steering committee to have someone represent DLI, but they're not representing DLI, they're representing themselves. Or to say we have to create a carve out for a business owner and or property owner downtown. I mean, I'm up for having that discussion since it sounds like in order to create some type of compromise, there might be talk of growing your steering committee or growing the steering committee to have more. I think anyone that's coming to this from a, from a self-centered and not in a negative way, a, a centered of self and not of the consensus, that kind of dilutes the very much of the scope of the, of the work as well. And I think it goes back to, you know, we're thinking about business owners and having them represented when we, and within the scope of the steering committee is to establish a downtown boundary. So what if we have a business that thinks that they're downtown and they're appointed and they're not part of the downtown boundary? So I think when you start to get very prescriptive about those type of appointees and not entities that are listed as appointees doing their due diligence to say, you're here to represent the voices of that organization, whether it's a property owner or a business owner, however they choose to identify membership, then you start to teeter with how the scope may, the mission may start to fluctuate or it may determine, like you said, it may create some imbalances in how the work continues to move forward without there being a little bit of a little self-centeredness involved in it. So, you know, I'm interested to hear, you know, if folks want to have additional folks 
what does that look like and who it is. I'm just worried that if we start naming things, then that person's going to come to the steering committee to just air their grievances instead of coming at it from a place of involvement and consult and to be able to bring the voices. So I don't know. I, I, I just, this idea of calling folks out now, then it starts to become a, a committee of, of grievance and not a committee of solutions. So, so Commissioner Sellers, following that same line of thinking and maybe going back to shrinking the committee. <laughs> what about doing away with downtown resident, downtown employee, down, you know, like if I mean, just, just having the entities? Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the resident one. I'm a little leery because, again, if we haven't identified the boundaries of what downtown is, then, I mean, I'm, I, I can nitpick, you know, mm -hmm. what's a resident? So is this a resident of, influ of affluence? Mm -hmm. Is this a resident that receives... Yeah. You know, are they subsidized? You know, someone that receives subsidized housing. You know, it could be a student. It could be a, a, a you know a retired individual. We you know, and again, that could change the tone and texture. So again, I don't want to get us in a point where we're starting to point people. That's going to change the voice of the committee. I think they should be able to bring some provocative language to it. But I mean, that resident one that could be sticky because just like. You know, if we say we're going to have a business owner, that could be a business owner that is adverse to what this is, what we're going to do. So bless you. I don't know. It just, I think the more that we start to figure out exemptions to adding people, then it gets a little hinky if we take away folks. So I don't know. But I could be easily persuaded. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Well, I'm open to the discussion, and I'm also open if we were to go, kind of, if we were to expand what I was thinking would be person from social services and then downtown owner. But I'm, I could also stay where we are, or, like I said, I'm open to discussion, but if we were to expand, that's my, my thought process. <laughs> social person from unhoused slash social service because I understand how difficult it could be to um, maintain that continuous relationship with an unhoused person to you know participate long term in the, in the committee but at least reaching out to social services like shelter or something of the sort um, that do have the capability to outreach to those folks um, or you know alluding to what was said before, the downtown business owner. If we were to expand, those would be my two. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with uh, the list as it was presented, other than clarification on you know who and what is gonna be a part of this uh, entity who is designated by an entity. So DLI's entity, uh, the Lawrence Public Library's entity, I mean, who are they gonna appoint? I mean, honestly, anyone who serves on this board is gonna have a bias. And I feel like to pretend like a person isn't, who lives downtown isn't gonna have a bias as, as it relates to how close it is to their you know, domicile versus a person who works downtown. And I mean, everyone comes to this with biases. And I think that's what we want. We wanna get people's input and wanna get people's opinions and feelings and emotions on this so that we can, get into where the best place is. And I think without investigating those things, then we're just um, 
going through the motion. So I'm all in favor of 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 getting you know more voices than less. But if um, we can't agree on who's a part of this group, then I'm in favor of reducing the number or cutting someone out and adding somebody, but I'm not quite sure who that is. And um, frankly, the social services um, you know, need to be a part of this. The people who are working with and outreach all the time, I think that's a great opportunity. I think it's a great um, representative to the city and people who really know the people that are using the services both now and hopefully in the future. So, um, you know, for me, um, having a resident of downtown is the equivalent of having a business owner downtown because they're going to be immediately impacted. Uh, having a, a person who works downtown is going to have direct bias as somebody you know who, who owns downtown. So anyone whose life experiences are going to be impacted are going to bring those uh, preconceived notions to this. And so I want those ideas. I want the 10-year um, input from the library and from the social services folks who are a part of that group um, you know, working around um, that block for the last 10 years, I think those people are going to tell us, you know, when people are there, uh, when they're uh, when they're a nuisance and when they're not, when we don't have enough buses lined up and when we don't have enough shelter, you know, where we could put uh, the best possible location for um, um, stopovers and 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 connections, I mean, those are the things that we need to be talking about here. These other issues, I want to make sure we're involved, but um, we need to do something, and I think we need to get the best possible input, and so I don't want to start cutting people off if, if, if at all possible, so that, that's my opinion. Whether it's the Senior Resource Center, you know, I, being a neighbor for 10 years, that, that gives you a lot of insight, Brad, and, and, and that's one reason I was surprised. Um, I wasn't surprised to see them there, but whether or not they can lend future insight into this location, I feel like that's what we're looking for, and that's kind of why I wanted to keep them there. So, um, But if nobody from the Senior Resource Center wants to step up and be a representative, then perhaps that would be the best place to um, stop and maybe remove an, an agency and maybe put in a, a, an individual who might give us some insight we don't currently have. So Commissioner Dever, to that point, I want to pause real quick. Adam. Anyone that's been listed as a potential appointee on the shelter on the steering committee, have they been softly have you had communication with them to say there's a we want to have someone representing your your organization, your entity, there may be you, you may make the list, you may not make the list, but at least pique their curiosity on it. Uh, yeah, I'd have to. I don't know if every single one on the list, but um, a lot of these folks we work with pretty regularly, mm -hmm. and so um, I don't. You know, from the ones I can, um, SRC Library, DLI Chamber. I don't think we'd have any trouble soliciting um, an appointee from those groups. Okay. Um, would be my answer to that. Yeah. Okay, and then no, because I mean there was a point that. Um, Commissioner Devermate, which I, I do agree with. I think anyone that comes to the table, you're going to have bias. That's that's human. Um, my concern, though, as as commissioners, because we all have bias. However, we speak from we have to speak from the collective. So my my thought is that as anyone that's here representing, whether it's the Senior Resource Center, Downtown Lawrence even land that again you may have your internal thoughts around something however you are here to be a conduit of that organization so that their their voice is heard so the good bad the ugly the indifference all of it so you are the spokesperson 
as IAP2 charges you to, to lean into that and to bring that back to the committee. So you're not there to just air your grievance. You're there to, you are a, you are the connector from the steering committee to whatever entity you're there to represent to bring that voice, to bring those voices from that organization, from that entity into the steering committee. So I think that's just, I think that goes with, uh, you know, we call it creating those ground rules, those rules of engagement that you'll probably, you know, I would encourage, I know it's not laid out in here, but I would encourage having with the steering committee so that they understand this is, you know, yes, this, and I mean, maybe we do build it into the scope that there needs to be rules of engagement, but I think that's what happens sometimes when we fall a little astray with some of these steering committees that folks come in like, oh, this is my time to, to say all the things that I want to say about this, and it's like, yeah, you can. However, it's also your role to bring those voices. So I think there should be some rules of expectation of steering committee members of, this is not you here to speak about you. This is to speak about the entity and all the voices that are part of that and, and maybe helping with folks align with that. So um, again, I like I like this list, knowing what I said, but I said if there's someone that's missing, I know, Mayor, you had mentioned social service. Other than DARE, is there another, or because I, I, I like Adam's point that I don't know, I think we need to have the, the voice of the unhoused represented. It gets a little dicey with a steering committee and because of the, 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 the perceived inflexibility of someone who is unhoused, if they're not, if, if we don't have them in a, they're going through a process. So I think being able to make that commitment, not to say that a person can't, but if there was an organization that could be the driver to make sure those voices are heard, which is something that we've always heard. If we can't have someone unhoused on a, on a steering committee or a committee, how can we trust a partner to be able to do that? And I know we have LCS as an additional stakeholder. So are you just wanting to call out Dare and just say a representative from Dare because I don't know right. who else specifically downtown you would want to have. Where would the additional stake? How many how many opportunities would the additional stakeholder have to inter intercept or you know be a part of the process? Uh, well, certainly they wouldn't be precluded from all the list out all the in person and virtual opportunities. We could. Um, I think I note on that slide there's some flexibility to create like topic specific mm -hmm. meetings for different stakeholder groups. We can't. Uh, there's a limit to that. Uh, we did a lot of that through um, route redesign and, and probably pushed our limits on how many separate unique meetings we had. Um, but we can do some of that if there's if it makes sense for us to group um, some sort of service agencies together and have a discussion about what this uh, means for them or concerns. Um, we can certainly facilitate that. I mean, yeah, I mean, the way I posited it, it is if we wanted to make those additions, those, those are the ways that would go. But I, if we wanted to stick hard and fast, if what we got now, what we got now is fine with me as well. So. I would also note, for the record, unlike last time, we'll have three city commission meetings, which yep. tend to bring out a lot of people <laughs> that we don't, you know, some people don't pay attention until it shows up on the city commission agenda. I mean, no, no matter how much this, how much we have steering committees, 
until it shows up at the city commission meeting agenda, people tend not to show up. And so I do, by the way, appreciate that. I mean, I think it's going to be an important part of this process to have those, that you've proposed those additional meetings to have that discussion because as much as I'd like to say that, you know, that every steering committee gets everyone involved, it's often the fact that we get people showing up saying, I haven't heard anything about this until it showed up on the city commission agenda. So. Right. Well, I'm okay with what we have. I mean, we've talked in circles, but I could go with yep. what's been recommended. All right, sounds and, like it. And Commissioner Sellers, and go from there. I do. I just like I I, I shared with Adam, and I think it, it's something as we move forward and being able to call it out, and whether it's a task force or a steering committee, because you're dealing with you know, again, these were I'm looking at the comments, and I understand that these were you know, summaries, but it, it speaks a lot to perceptions of what we have in our community where you have, this speaks to environmental sustainability, it speaks to, you know, safe and secure, connected, but it, 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 there's also some othering tones in this and you know as a kid that grew up and my grandfather was a city bus driver for 31 years um, at one point in my life I had to use the city bus to go to school um, and I can tell you good bad and about that um, but again I, I think we're you know we're coming at this from, I'm hearing where folks are kind of coming at this from an othering or a, you know, we don't really need this, so, because it's just for those people. And I think building into your steering committee, I say yours, because it's following within transit, so I understand it's not going to be yours. Um, but talking, having those rules of engagement and understanding that we may intentionally or unintentionally appoint someone to this steering committee that needs a little bit of understanding around, you know, equity, inclusion, and language around power dynamics and things of that nature because you may have someone, again, because of that bias, they don't mean harm, but their language may be harmful. So being able to talk about rules of engagement, understanding safe space, giving those folks who are on this committee opportunity to, to, to educate themselves and enlighten themselves on, while you may not be a person that utilizes this service, one, do not close yourself off at the opportunity of being one that could, but also represent that as you are here to represent an entity, you also need to be able to hear as well. So just don't be, and, and I'm, I'm talking a little bit around this, but it's just about the rules of engagement. I mean, it's, I'm, especially because of the tone and texture around this for the last two years, now going on three, there could be a lot of othering that comes out of this and wherever we land on it I don't want steering committee meetings I would hate to see I should say want because that's creating pressure I would hate that for for this process to be marred with individuals who don't see themselves as a potential user speaking from a place of piety and saying that this is not what we want, this is not what we need, not recognizing that there are individuals in our community who want this, who need this. It's in our strategic plan to move towards something like this and that, that, that we end up missing an opportunity. So I don't know, it's just building out those elements of IAP2 that sometimes we don't talk about if you're not familiar with it, but speaking to 
creating a space where folks can be educated and enlightened on. You're speaking about a community that you may not engage with a lot, but being mindful of that as you go through this process. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm fine with the number, you know, if we, you know, I, like you said, we have the additional stakeholders. I think there's opportunities to bring that in. I'm not opposed to adding another seat and saying dare and just calling dare out. Um, but if everyone's good with what it is now, then I think, I mean, I'm good with it now and just making sure that we include another social program such as dare into this process. Would there be an opportunity to include them as a stakeholder? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. I think. I don't see why not. Okay. Um, and I know the scope of work. I don't know if we really talked about that as much. I think it looks good. Yeah. That, yeah. I think it looks Simple good. to the point. Yep. Okay. Good. And uh, yeah, it seems we're pretty solid in that. And this is something we need, as Adam presented. Um, this has been a temporary solution for the last 10 years. <laughs> so um, where people have been at what we like to call a shelter, trying to catch a bus, not knowing exactly what time the bus will be showing up, and in position in those, those places to go ahead and use services that they vitally need. So um, I think this is a great first step, and uh, I'm glad that uh, we're, we're turning the page this direction. So, um, Thank I you, Adam. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, after all that discussion, I'll say I move to approve resolution number <laughs> 7518. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 That's four zero. Thank you very much, Adam. And uh, I think that was the, the shortest motion that you ever had. <laughs> that. All right. Brings us to item G, commission items. I had a mission, sir. All right. Okay. All right. And seeing none, uh, move us on to uh, item H, city manager's report. Craig? Happy New Year. Um, I, uh, the only two items are the utility building report and the future agenda items. Okay. And seeing this is a, uh, any, I'm sorry, any questions for Craig on the city manager's report? Okay, um, and seeing this is a public comment item, uh, any public comment in-house? Seeing none, any, uh, any online, Sherry? No, Mayor. All right, bringing us back. Well, this is the shortest utility report we've seen in a while. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'll bring us, uh, next item, commission calendar. Item I, any problems, issues you wanna bring up? Uh, not an issue. I just, just while I'm thinking about it, um, the joint meeting, the city county meeting. I know we struggled to find a time for that. I have a quote here in the two thirty, and I think the meeting's at the county commission. No, it's here. It's here. So, I'll be here as soon as I can. It starts. Okay. With, I mean, the committee meeting starts at three thirty, but I will be here as soon as I can after that. Okay. Quote hearing, um, but I might be a little late. If that's if I'm late, that's why. I'll try to remember that as we get closer, but I just thought of it today as I looked at my calendar. <laughs> Did we put a time on this? I know it's 3.30, but it's, is this a 60-minute meeting, 90-minute meeting? 
I mean, five-minute meeting? How long? The, they have a meeting that evening, so they're, they've got a pretty hard stop. So we have them until? <laughs> I think that's a five o'clock start for them. An hour and a half, maybe. Yeah. Hour and ten. Plus travel. Yeah. Mm. They start at 5.30. Oh, 5.30. The plan is an okay. hour, but a little leeway if you runs a little over. Okay. I don't, I don't think I have anything. All right. We will sign on to the next item. Didn't seem like we do. Item J adjournment. Can I get a motion? Move to adjourn. I'll second that motion. All right. First and second. All those very please say aye. 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 Four zero. We are adjourned. Have a good evening, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Thank have you. a good evening. Thank you.